As a training organization, we often are educating our clients on creating a staff training plan and the importance of having one, understanding who in your organization needs what skills and how they can go about learning those skills. Welcome to Vertical Playpen and let's discuss creating a staff training plan. What are you talking about? Stuff we know. Stuff and things. Stuff and things. The things that we know. We're talking about some things that we know. So if you work on a challenge course and you have staff that facilitate that challenge course, it's a really good idea to have a staff training plan. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. You've got myself, Phil Brown. I'm the host and one of the trainers at High Five. You've also got Chris Danboys, who's the director of training, and you've got another trainer, Hannah Bailey. And we're going to be talking about good staff training plan. Then there's the jingly music. Who would like to begin? I know that all three of us have experience either working for an organization that implemented a staff training plan but now as trainers for an organization such as high five that creating and crafting a staff training plan is really really important we often guide our clients through this process so let's talk about staff training plans you know one of the common challenges for many programs around coming up with a staff training plan is that they are often budget conscious And a staff training plan isn't always about hiring an outside professional vendor to do your training, that it's often a mix of internal staff training and skill verification, as well as the occasional use of an outside vendor to make sure that you're staying up to current standards and know, you know, what the industry is doing out there beyond your own program. So I think that thinking about it from a budgeting perspective is important. It doesn't need to be the limiting factor, however, because a good staff training plan will include both vendor level training and internal staff development. So I don't, I don't know if that resonates for either of the two of you, but that's what came to my mind initially. Yeah. I think that there's a concern sometimes that it will cost an exorbitant amount of money, but in order for them to actually save money, you would train your staff to a competency level that wouldn't require consistent training from someone like ourselves to keep coming out and doing those. So sometimes cultivating a plan where someone who gets some advanced training and then can perform some in-house training for their site may actually, over the long term, save them money. They just need to be willing to invest in their staff members at the, at the start instead of having constantly recycling staff members. I agree. And typically it's time that's an issue too for, especially in the camp world, directors just really struggle to um, allocate time to these types of trainings um, because the staff need to do lifeguard training and CPR first aid and all of these other things. But it's, it's so important to dedicate people and dedicate time to your challenge course training. From a risk management perspective, you know, if I were thinking about having to defend my decision as a program around the amount of training, the level of training, the the quality cut of the training that individuals get, you don't want to be trying to 
defend that after the fact when something has gone awry. And you can't say in a court of law, I don't have the money. I didn't have the time. I couldn't find the staff, but I still ran a program. <laughs> you know, that combination is, uh, is not a, a justification for doing things poorly. So one of the other thing, things also is that a staff training plan that you might have experienced at a summer camp may not be the best staff training model for a school-based program or an outdoor education year-round program or a therapeutic agency. They're just, I think each client program style probably needs its own plan and could look very different uh, depending on where you're located. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I really like about working for High Five is that we stay pretty connected with our clients and help coach them around what an appropriate staff training plan might be. And, and we, you know, we welcome those inquiries, those calls and those opportunities to work with our clients to help them figure out what's adequate and going to meet their needs. Um, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. So certainly reach out to your vendor if you have questions about that creation. You know, I think one of the other things that I think about is, you know, and this kind of goes back to like being more professional in all the work that we do, but like, what are the job descriptions? So what are the levels at which people are expected to operate on your challenge course? Do you have level one trained people who are being supervised by level two trained people who are also skilled enough in their level two skills to perform non-normal tasks like work at height, gear retrieval, rescues, supporting an emotionally stuck participant, all those kinds of things that might come up. And then having, depending on the size of your program, perhaps a course manager designated person trained who's thinking about larger program issues like insurance, waivers, medical screening, all those kinds of pieces. And in order to do that, you really need to think about people's job descriptions. What is your average camp counselor responsible for when they bring their cabin out to the challenge course? What is the person who's at the challenge course responsible for when that group gets brought to them? And then the floating supervisor, what's their responsibilities? And that will really help you think about the levels of training and where you might need to get some people trained in X and other people trained in Y. In terms of establishing, like, you know, what does that training plan look like? Just as you said, it depends on the context in which you're implementing it in. It's going to look very different for a school versus a camp, you know, therapeutic center, whatever it may be. And you're just going to want to focus on different skills as well outside of the technical skills. There's never a, a very clear cookie cutter plan when you're approaching these things, but there are elements that are important to include in every plan. It's easy to justify the technical because the technical skills, because there is risk associated with not having them. So I think that there's the ability for us as a vendor or you as a, an employee to advocate for yourself in those regards, because if you don't hit them, what I would encourage you to advocate for is training outside of just the technical aspects and having consistency of, of training in those regards. So it might be facilitation skills it might be conflict resolution skills depending on what you're working in and your field is in you're going to be tasked with keeping people safe both physically which is going to be the technical component and then also the emotional part 
which is those facilitation skills. And I, I often find that those are the things that we have, we get great technically trained staff members, but we sort of negate some of the uh, other aspects of training that could and should be implemented in a staff training plan. I was fortunate where I worked for when I was um, a challenge course manager that I was afforded the opportunity for continuous professional development. And that didn't have to be constantly going to a beyond basics level two training at high five every three years I would do that, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing that every year. So I had the opportunity to fill those gaps with other things that might be supplemental to my learning. And that I think is, is also easier therefore to budget because you've got this knowledge that this amount of money is going towards this training plan each year for this individual. And, and I'm sure it's the case that those people who are afforded or given the opportunity to do professional development and have a plan are more likely to want to stay at that location through loyalty to their employer who has afforded them this wonderful gift of constant education. So there's so many benefits to to trying to create a plan. Do we have any examples of what, I know we said are really not that cookie cutter, but if it was a brand new client that was just purchasing a course, when we go and do our site visits, we often will include training into that. It's it's very rare, unless they've had some form of training outside of us recently, that we would not be saying, in order to purchase this course and for us to build this, we're also going to need some form of training. What would an example of some of that training look like? It would often be, depending on the size and scale of the course that they're being built, whether it's a highs or lows or a combination of, uh, depending on the number of operating systems, is it dynamic and static? But it could be anywhere from a three to a five day custom level one training at their site to operate and learn how to the standard operating procedures of those of that course. It isn't just the tech skills though, it is also modeling an adventure programming sequence so that they actually get to see what it feels like to have an adventure program flow that they can then start picturing how they might implement it in their program. Along with that level one training, we encourage every site to have a level two trained person available at any point in time should non-normal situations occur on the course. That doesn't mean that they have to be out there physically programming in that moment or have their own group, but they're readily available to help with any questions, concerns, set up any issues at height. So that's a bare minimum, basically, that we would do, I think, for programs who have an existing adventure program and maybe have we've added on to, well, then it gets, you know, negotiated as to how much time do we need to bring them up to speed on their new stuff. But the demand or requirement of a level two person would stay the same. And if, if you're a program that's running multiple groups on your challenge course at a time and there's a lot more going on perhaps you're bringing in outside groups besides your own population you're bringing you know you're trying to generate revenue in the off season and bringing outside groups those kind of programs really could benefit from having someone take a challenge course manager level of certification in addition the thing i'm i would add and i'm speaking directly to you if you are the sole technically skilled person on your site that it can be very challenging to advocate when you are the sole you're solely responsible for the knowledge to advocate to supervisors who don't understand the need for other things to 
have more. I remember when I was a challenge course manager at site, I was pretty much isolated, but I was I was supported by my supervisor who had an awareness of the industry also and had also been through trainings. So that made my ability to be able to ask for more training super helpful. So my recommendation, and I'm bringing this up when I do site visits, that it's not just the program lead that ends up getting training, that it's the supervisor to a very, like maybe they just there for the level one. They don't necessarily need to do a level two, but at least they know if you've gone to the point of purchasing a very substantial thing at your site, including with that some risk involvement, that you as a supervisor or your supervisors, if you're not there, are present and available to be at least that initial training so they understand what it is that's going to happen and what it looks like when it doesn't go right. Having those layers of training and awareness of knowledge of what's happening, I think is super helpful. And it just, and also helps you if your employees know what your job is to be able to say, I could do with some more to make X, Y, and Z better rather than them just aimlessly picking and guessing. That's a good point, Phil. I think another important thing to realize is that a vendor training can only do so much. So if I roll into uh, your school and train your new, your PE staff and how to run a challenge course, I've done that contractual piece. As an employer, you still have an obligation to ensure that those people, after I leave, are doing what they've been taught correctly and that they continue to keep those skills up. So some form of internal skill verification and annual update and performance check is still incumbent upon the employer. You know, you could certainly hire back the training org to do that each year, but you could also do that internally. And, you know, many people ask us, well, I I don't know what to test my people on and those kinds of things. And we can help support that for those who are more skilled you know, they can go to our website and pull off. We have a level one skills assessment, a level two skills assessment on there. They can pull that document and use that as a template for creating their own skill verification for their staff. But it's really an employer's responsibility to know that they have properly trained staff using adequate equipment that's been inspected and operating the elements in a, in a way that the original manufacturer is requesting that they be operated. And then all of the stuff around that is really what the program gets to infect with their way of being, whether that's their therapeutic agency and they're going to do addiction service recovery work, and they're going to really layer that into all of that. That's, that's where they get the creativity. Where they don't get the creativity is to use a giant swing upside down and backwards from how they were taught. That's not where creativity comes into the challenge course training setting. And to add to that, Chris, training not only with your team, you are practicing specific skills, but it's also just extremely valuable in the sense that you're spending time with your crew of people and getting to know each other better and understand your strengths and your weaknesses um, and how you need to be supported in your roles. And it does so much when you have the time to do that. And I remember, you know, working in the summer at a camp and the challenge course staff, that was my family. And we looked out for each other and we just knew what each other needed throughout the day. And it's, it just makes a really big difference and that you can rely and trust each other. So spending that time is not only 
worth the practical skills, but also bringing out how each other work. Yeah, that's a great social benefit that often gets short-sighted, or I shouldn't say just doesn't get taken into account. Another thing that sometimes people aren't prepared for is sort of the documentation of what the staff training plan is. So you actually have to write it down. It can't just be sort of anecdotal. We kind of do this, we kind of do that. And everybody knows it, but it really needs to be documented. It should include, and hopefully if you hire an outside vendor to help support your training effort, that they're providing you with things like an agenda with certificates of attendance, with completion hours, those kinds of things. That as an employer, you should be gathering and keeping in your database And maybe you need it for compliance if you're trying to get ACA accreditation or you're trying to uh, support efforts of a state regulator to say you're, you're good to operate these services, whatever it is. But the other layer is also as an individual professional in the field, collecting that information in your own portfolio is really important. And ACT, the Association for Challenge Course Technology on their website has a great little Excel uh, spreadsheet that's a portfolio template that anybody can download and it documents, you know, your training on courses, your facilitation experience, your trainings attended, a lot of other things in there around being a professional. And that is a good way to carry your knowledge with you in a documented way that you can then support your employer or future employers with that really will help them make sense of Are you level one? Are you level two? And then they can make a better staff training plan once they know where people are at. The training that we provide doesn't and shouldn't be the only training that exists in your, let's say, calendar year. I always recommend that there's some form of in-house refresher opportunities that you as the trained core group of people that have skill have the opportunity to use those skills as a group to refresh yourselves and it might be as simple as reminding yourself how to set up the elements like how does this element get set up or what was the operation of this one do we need to look at high five guide or whatever lop documentation that you may have just as a reminder we do that internally and that's super helpful for us as trainers to remind ourselves this is how we run this because this is an element we didn't use for a while but I, I think it's also an opportunity to make sure that the skills are constantly fresh in your in your small group of people who are who are using those skills. Sometimes it's the case where we'll come to do a training and that will be the first time that they've used X element because they didn't use it for oh we didn't even touch that. So I didn't I can't even remember how to use it. So just having the opportunity to refresh. And the other benefit to doing that is that you also get to participate on some of these and climb on some of them. I think it's such an empathetic experience for you, especially if you're possibly a nervous person who's nervous at height, to experience what it might be like for your then participants to climb a height. And if the only thing you've done is sit on the stand on the ground looking upwards, then you're going to have an, have those incredible deltoids, trapezius muscles, but you uh, aren't going to remember what it's like to be that high in the air. And I think that those things are helpful. That's another thing that we try to do internally here is refresh our skills. So we have a two-day training, internal training at our site where we, as a collective training team, have an opportunity to refresh our skills. Awesome. Any any last thoughts on um, staff training plans? We've got some great ideas here. Reaching out to us, we can support you in the process of creating, reinforcing, and if you're an employee who's struggling to get your employer on board with a training plan, 
we are the experts and we're happy to, I'm happy to have a conversation and talk about some of these things in a, uh, a way that might help them understand the importance. And if you, if you are someone who's struggling, because I, I do empathize with, especially if you're isolated at your site, feeling you can advocate for additional or needs for training. I'll throw this in there. Some people say, well, how long between trainings? Like I was trained two years ago. I was trained 10 years ago. How long is too long? You know, here at High Five, we define regular training as basically keeping, you know, staff skills and professional updated on an annual or biannual basis. So that means you should be doing something internally every year for your staff. And then externally, a level two certification, if you were actually going to get people certified, is only good for three years. So if you're training people to level two skills, they should be getting that refreshed every three years or so. Level one certification is only good for one year. So if people are really getting base level training, then they may need that every year, particularly if you're running a seasonal program and they do it for six weeks and then they're off in, you know, in life doing their regular thing for the other, you know, nine or 10 months of their year, they're going to need something when they come back. So regular is important. So that's what I would add to the end. Just don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions and also reaching out to other organizations similar to you and asking, you know, what do you do for training and an idea share that way? So in summary of what we were discussing in this episode, there is an importance of having in-house training and also professional training, ensuring that your staff have accurate job descriptions that can guide in the process of creating a plan. Knowing that you need to have level one skilled practitioners as well as level two. Ensuring that their supervisors has some awareness of the responsibilities of the roles of each of their employees. So that might mean that they need to attend training as well at that level one level. Documenting all of your information, making sure you're accurately documenting the staff training plan and also anyone's uh, trainings that they have attended, certificates of trainings, etc. And then the importance of in-house refreshers. So that means refreshing those skills, learning how to climb on your elements, learning the LOPs, those local operating procedures, and feeling like you are comfortable, all of the staff are comfortable running the programming, especially if you have long periods of time where you may not be running it. So doing a refresher before you engage with clients back on the course is really helpful. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Once again, you can reach out to us by either emailing us podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five adventure.org, or you can just reach out on Instagram at vertical playpen. You can send me a message. I always respond to the messages, so you can send me something there as well. So thanks once again for listening, and I hope you're having an awesome day. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>